Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Happy New Year and welcome to the first live Football Social Daily show of 2022. The new year is less than 48 hours old, but the Premier League is showing absolutely no signs of a hangover as the goals have rained down right the way across the English top flight. 25 goals across seven games in the last two days has ensured a bumper start to 2022. Covid postponements obviously have continued to play a big role this weekend but despite that there is still plenty of action to get stuck into. In part one we'll be reviewing the big one from Sunday afternoon, the big battle in the title race as Manchester City stretched their lead at the top with a late late win at Arsenal and rivals Liverpool and Chelsea both failed to gain any ground in their own title tilts after a cracker of a two-all draw at Stamford Bridge. Alongside that, we'll also be checking out the picture at Everton as Rafa Benitez looks to be on the brink again as the Toffees slipped to defeat to Brighton. Then in part two, we're going to be rounding up all the other games this weekend with some really important winning starts to 2022 for Tottenham, Brentford and Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds United right then so lots to get through at the start of 2022 my name's Fergal Brennan and ringing in the new year tonight we have Manchester United fan and podcaster with the masterclass Rob Blanchett 2022 how's it treating you so far Rob? It's good, Fergal. Thank you very much. It's uh, been a busy schedule over Christmas, obviously, with uh, trying to avoid COVID and still cover games. But uh, we're going along quite nicely at the moment. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Alongside Rob, we also have freelance football writer Mr Pete Hall. No rest for the wicked over Christmas and New Year. I'd imagine, Pete, busy, busy, busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the busiest time of the year, isn't it, really? But uh, uh, it wouldn't have it any other way, Fergal. Happy New Year to you both. Wonderful stuff. The only person busier than Santa at this time of year tends to be Pete. Right, we're going to get stuck into the big one from today. Chelsea 2, Liverpool 2. Rob, an absolute cracker of a game. Four goals, loads of incident, loads of action. Four brilliant goals also, it must be added on. But 
ultimately the big takeaway from this is a point apiece, but it's probably actually a win for Manchester City. They now end the weekend 10 points clear at the top of the table with 21 games gone. Liverpool do have a game in hand and despite this being a brilliant game and quote fantastic ad advert for the Premier League and fantastic game for the neutral Jurgen Klopp who like the rest of us watched it from home and Thomas Tuchel who was there at Stamford Bridge will be frustrated because it doesn't really do anything for either of them in terms of their title intentions and Liverpool uh, sorry Manchester City now can just possibly ease on to defend the title. Yes, I think Pep Guardiola's at home at the moment after that game, feeling quite good about himself. Um, it was a great game of football, you know, a real humdinger, as you said, uh, the proverbial advert for the Premier League, two top teams going at it. Chelsea and Liverpool both showed why they are top four teams and it was a cracking match, but I just think that they also showed some of their weaknesses in this game and it's why, why Man City are now kind of pushing ahead of everyone else. There's just that gap there, I think, in quality, even though the game itself was fantastic. Looking at the situation, we're going to talk about Chelsea in a second, but Pete, I want to <clears throat> go to you on Liverpool first because Klopp wasn't there. He's tested positive for COVID-19, so he was watching at home and Pep Linders took charge at Stamford Bridge. There's an interesting quote from his post-match where he said, it's never boring with us, mm. is it? Never, ever, ever. I'm really proud of the players because it was a proper football match. We could have made some excuses, but we're not going to. We attacked the game and we probably got what we deserved that seems to be the takeaway from this that we know Liverpool can tear teams to bits Salah, Mane, Jota can score goals for fun and Liverpool can rack up four, five, six goals in a game but this idea of it being a cracking game and full of action and full of excitement sometimes in a title race where you know, we're edging towards squeaky bum time end of January, start of February you just need to win games you don't need to batter teams you don't need to put on a huge show you just need to win games and at the moment based on the complexion of the table Manchester City are the best at doing that yeah, absolutely. And and um, well, Linda was also. I thought it was quite interesting in his post match where he's he sort of um, he sort of points out that a draw at, Ch at Chelsea is a very good result. Like it's sort of it, it can kind of feel like a defeat when you two goals when you two goals up and and you, you don't end up winning the game. But Chelsea battled back into that game um, through their own endeavours. It it wasn't like Liverpool were making mistakes. It took two brilliant goals to get them back in the game, which nobody you know they, they couldn't have stopped either really. Um, and it's still a good result. It's the problem is is that City have have taken greatness to the next level, haven't they? And and now that you, you know at this stage of the season, Chelsea and Liverpool have lost two games apiece, and they're you know they're, they're trailing by quite a way in the title race, which is just ridiculous, really, because City are on on are on course for a near hundred point season again. It's just they've just taken greatness to the next level. Any other season, they'd be well, both both of them would be well in the title race, if not if not one of them leading the the, the table. So it, it's it's just that City have raised the bar so high now that you can't you can't afford any form of slip ups and and the other we'll we'll get on to City in, in greater detail. I know, but um. I just I think they've got gears to go up even more. I don't even I don't even think they're at top top level yet. There's there's so many players um, that I think have got more to give this season and will uh, as the season goes on. So yeah, it's pretty frightening for the rest of the uh, Premier League. Looking at the situation, Rob, as as Pete points out there, these two defeats that Chelsea have, that Liverpool have, and that Manchester City have. Alongside that, the big measurement is draws. City have only drawn two games, Chelsea have drawn seven, and Liverpool have drawn six. That's the big gap. That ability to 
have these types of games where it could go either way. You could just go kind of hell for leather and get a battle in points, be it at Stamford Bridge, be it at Anfield, be it wherever. But City do have a better ability to just either shut up shop and make sure they get three points. Or if they're in a position where they're drawing or even losing going into the final stages of a game, just do it. From watching this game today, it, it could have gone either way. One of them could have won it, could have been 3-2 in either direction. But also it was equally as likely that because everything was so frantic and everything was almost so disjointed in the last 15, 20 minutes that that played into each other's hands because they were just back butting head, just banging against each other. And really a winner, if it was going to come, was probably going to come from a mistake or a fluke or something like that. Whereas Pep Guardiola measures himself much more clinically in these types of situations. And that's what's given them this advantage. Yeah, it was a slugfest without a doubt today, but you're 100% correct in terms of how, how Manchester City ruthlessly manage games. And ultimately, that's how you win the Premier League. You know, it's not about winning 5-0 every week. It's not about you know, uncontrollable, amazing attacking football or, as you said, butting heads. It's about how you kind of surgically take apart games and take home three points. Pep Guardiola is the master at it. He's just he's taking it to a completely brand new level in terms of how he gets victories. And Manchester City, as you said, like they, they do look like they've got levels to go. You know, I watched them with complete envy because you look at that squad and it just feels like they're operating at around 50 or 60% at the moment, yet they're so far ahead of everyone else, both in, in the way that they win football matches and in the table itself. So I, I think when you look at Liverpool and Chelsea, there are definitely fallacies about their game this season, even though they are exciting teams. You see Chelsea last few weeks have, have had their own issues and Liverpool themselves have dropped points. Um, now Liverpool lose Mane and Salah. That's a huge issue for them for the next few games at least. But Liverpool remind me of maybe the Liverpool team from two or three or four years ago when they would go to war with, with opponents and maybe draw three all and games were like that. If you do that every week, then you're going to drop points, I'm afraid. Um, just looking at some stories that are going to emerge from both camps in the coming days. I'm going to go to Liverpool with you, Pete, and then Chelsea with you, Rob. The AFCON kicks off in the next couple of weeks and Liverpool, as we know, are going to be missing some massive players. Sadio Mane, Mo Salah are both heading off and, and Naby Keita is also going to be a big blow in terms of Jurgen Klopp's um, squad options. Depending on how their respective countries progress in the AFCON will govern how long they're away for and how many domestic games that they're going to miss. Liverpool, considering the position that they're in now, they're not out of the title race. They do have a game in hand. They are still third in the table. How does Klopp manage the next three, four, potentially five weeks in terms of his squad with those big, big absences from his team? Um, it's just, it's 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 a hard one, really, because Mane and Salah, I mean, two huge players to lose. And it, it does depend, yeah, it does depend on how long they're going to be away for. They've not gone to the Premier League game now for two weeks and then that's... And then that's Brentford at home, and then and then Palace away the week after. So, uh, the chances are that you know they're not going to miss the biggest games. Um, and the way that Diogo Jota's been playing this season, uh, if and, and and Firmino um, can come in, um, they've got the they've got the you know Divock Origi likes the odd game and the odd goal, doesn't he? And um, it's they've got the players to cover them, and they've just got to they just Jurgen Klopp's just got to keep them going. Really, I, I, I was at the last I was at the Leicester game in um, in midweek, and it was such a strange match. I mean, they they dominated for so long and, and had so many chances, but there was just something missing, and they just couldn't get they couldn't get the result over the line, and it was a bit of a surprise defeat, really. And I think they are missing a, li a little something. It does, they don't have that element of control. Uh, 
like Rob was talking about, that anywhere near like the the, the element of control that, that City have. Um, and it, but it's just they need to they need to sort of they need a calm and influence on the on the team now and no need to panic. Um, the title race is not over. They're, they're not playing badly. They're not losing loads of games like like they were at the start of last year. Um, so it's 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 time just to just to sort of remain calm and, and keep getting results to stay in there and and hope that City do drop points to let them back in. Before we move on to <clears throat> to Manchester City and their win over Arsenal yesterday, Rob, I want to ask you about Romelu Lukaku. Thomas Tuchel made the decision not to include him against Liverpool today on the back of that interview that was uh, leaked slash released in the last few days where he's talked about his, shall we say, difficult situation at Chelsea, possibility of wanting to return to, to Inter Milan at some stage in the future. And this has caused big, big waves. Thomas Tuchel described it as noise, said there was too much noise around the interview and the, the situation with Lukaku and his role in the team. So he he pulled him out of the firing line and, and didn't include him to face Liverpool. It's going to be an interesting few days and weeks to come because there is two sides to this. This interview was conducted weeks ago when Romelu Lukaku wasn't in the team. There's been claims that his quotes have been manipulated and spanned to present him in a certain way. Whereas another side of the argument, particularly from annoyed Chelsea fans, that's come out to say he shouldn't be doing this type of an interview. They're in a really crucial juncture of the season and he's a massive, massive player for them. How is this going to shake down in the next few weeks? I, I, I personally don't think this is going to be a quick sale for Lukaku before the end of the end of January. But this is an issue that Tuchel and Lukaku need to resolve and they need to resolve it quickly. Well, it's certainly an issue that Chelsea themselves as a football club do not need. You know, this is your star striker that you've gone and spent a lot of money on, brought it from Inter Milan after an incredible spell in Italy. But of course, don't forget to start of the season, Romelu was doing all the press, doing the rounds, saying how gratefully was to be back at Chelsea to have this second chance and here we are not even half a season in and he's talking relatively negatively about his coach you know this is a coach that won the Champions League not so long ago saying that he's changed the system that he just hasn't changed it's not changed at all I think what we've seen is that Chelsea themselves are probably I'd say in this first half a better team when Romelu Lukaku isn't starting. So I think this is why maybe Lukaku himself is not happy. But it's going to rumble on for a bit because, as you said, the January transfer window is opening and there's always that chance that if Chelsea do identify another striker that they do want, that they could use Lukaku as part of some huge kind of raid. And that's not something that's on the table at the moment. But I do think this story will continue to develop. OK, we're going to flick back to Saturday's action and the first game of 2022. Arsenal won Manchester City 2. We've obviously touched on the context of the title race for Manchester City and that big, big result at the Emirates Stadium. But, Rob, I want to talk about Arsenal before we look at City because it's frustrating as an Arsenal fan. You've spoken to a lot of Arsenal fans, read a lot of comments online over the last 24, 48 hours. And it's a difficult one to gauge in terms of glass half full and glass half empty because the narrative before the game was can Arsenal now finally compete with one of the big boys lost home and away against Liverpool and City last season got battered by City earlier on during this campaign but things have seemed to have changed improved issues over uh, mentality issues over experience there's there's been progress in in lots of areas but ultimately points on the board results Arsenal have come away with this with nothing and I, I'll be really honest I, I'm still kind of trying to process it because there was lots of things to say that were positive particularly performances of Bukayo Saka Gabriel Martinelli was really good again Martin Erdegaard too but it is it's not a familiar story with Arsenal but it's also not something to make you go yes a box has been ticked something has changed because ultimately at the end of the day we let in a goal in the 93rd minute and we're coming away with this with nothing 
Yeah, look, progress has been made at Arsenal. There's no doubt when you look at the start of the season and how it looked like the season was going to open up for uh, for Arteta. And, you know, there were questions about, obviously, his tenure there at the football club. But I, I agree with what you're saying there in the sense that the, this was a game, I think, where Manchester City were there for the taking. You could have knocked on, really, on this. You could have really uh, had a statement of intent. You go, you take the lead. I think when you look at Arsenal and you look at the youth that they've got, you know, it's a fantastic squad. And I do think that there'll be big improvements over the next 12 months and, and beyond. And I think Arsenal fans should be happy about that. But I think for this game, it was same old Arsenal. You know, they had chances, they didn't take them. And then their game management, as we've just talked about there uh, with previous games it just simply wasn't in place I think when you look at the two big VAR decisions that VAR got them correct to the letter of the law um, but of course people will debate that till they're blue in the face but you know Arsenal didn't help themselves in those moments uh, and I do think though that the Arsenal fans should still be relatively happy that they've got a good football team a young football team that will only get better Looking at those incidents, Pete, because they were one of the big dominant stories at full time, as well as the results and what it means for the title race and what it means for, for Arsenal. So I, I want to just get your take on, on the three big ones. Martin Erdegaard denied a penalty early on in the game after a collision with Edison. There was a brief VAR check, but ultimately resulted in nothing. Second half, Granite Xhaka gets himself a little handful of Bernardo Silva's shirt. Silva goes over, penalty, which Mares sticks away. And then about two minutes later, Gabriel, who decided to have a little kick at the penalty spot and got a yellow card, then got a second yellow card and sent off. So three big decisions, influence from VAR on the referee, of course. Where do you stand on these three? Do you think they were all correct or do you think there's a little bit of wiggle room on, on either side? I think I think Rob's right. I think that um, between them, between the officials, um, they got the, the big decisions right. I don't think you could overrule... Um, the tackle from Edison uh, to to give that as a penalty, I don't think that's clear clear and obvious enough. Um, I think that perhaps he did, perhaps he did, perhaps he did, um, you know, uh, get the get the man before the ball, but only just. And you have to, if you have to look at my view is if you have to look at several replays, then you know it, it's not obvious enough to to overturn the decision and to and to award a penalty for something like that that you're not sure about. Um, and then the rest is is Gabriel's Gabriel's idiot. What an what an idiot! What's he doing? Like, um, I it's a very old age old South American trick, isn't it? To sort of, to scuff a penalty spot. It's something that happens regularly in Brazil and Argentina um, when the referees are not looking. Um, but <laughs> eagle eyed referee had spotted it. So um, right, that was that was a booking. And then he and I, I did enjoy his reaction actually to his to his second booking when he absolutely. Wiped out. Um, who was? I can't remember who the tackle was on now. But he absolutely, he absolutely wiped him out. And uh, yeah, Gabriel Jesus, it was on. Yes, and he absolutely wiped out uh, his fellow countryman. And then sort of, you know, looking at the ref- looking at the referee, looking at the referee, going, "What? What? Who? Me? I mean, it was it was a, an, obvi- an obvious, me, an me. obvious, an obvious second yellow card. And it was, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, but uh, in terms of the officials, I think they got it spot on. Before we move on to Everton, Pete, I just want to get your take on on City's position. We've obviously mentioned it in the context of the Liverpool-Chelsea game and and what it means or what it might mean for the title race and and their defence of the Premier League title in, in 2022. Is there a hint of concern from this performance? City fans will be looking at this and pleased for the result that they got and then obviously the draw for Liverpool and, and Chelsea this afternoon. But 
Arsenal did make it really difficult for them. And, and the first half, probably the first hour, they were the better team, got the goal, got in front. And it was Arsenal shooting themselves in the foot and decisions that either went against Arsenal, justifiably or unjustifiably, that ultimately got City back in the game, the penalty, the red card, and then Rodri getting that late, late winner for them. Is this something that teams will look at and go, well, Arsenal were able to do this, this and this against them, movement up front, the pace from Saka out wide, exploiting Nathan Ake, who, who didn't look at all comfortable, kind of drafted in at left-back. Or does this just reek of, well, no, City are the defending champions for a reason and defending champions always find a way to get over the line? The latter. Uh, the, um, the Arsenal, had had an, Arsenal had had an extra three-day break um, so they were always going to be much sharper. City had been and got a good result at a Brentford team that can do like you know they're struggling to do wrong at the moment um, in their first season in the Premier League, and they you know who relish taking on big teams at home on you know having the big, on the big occasion. Um, I don't I don't think there's anything to worry about at all. I, I've 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 covered most of City's games recently, and it's just it sort of reminds me of the way that Man Man United were in like sort of like late 90s early 2000s where most games you are sort of won before like the half hour mark especially at home um just such as the dominance and control and you can tell early on there are always going to be games when they're not able to dominate like at arsenal but arsenal were excellent in the first half we, you know it's overlooked that that was probably arsenal's best performance of the season in the first half um against against city um and they deserved the lead but there was only so much City could do against, you know, a very good Arsenal team in that first half. Um, the fact that they they dug in, um, yes, they only had, you know, they only had two shots to score two goals. It was a bit, it was a very definition of a smashing grab. But you need, you get, you're always going to get games like that. And the fact that they kept coming in the 90th minute, having played three days earlier um, to win, to get a big win at Arsenal, is is a, a massive positive and a, a different way of winning a game. So I think there's only positives to take from that game for City. Right, we're going to move on to the third game of uh, part one, Rob, and this is Everton against Brighton. 3-2 win for the Seagulls at Goodison Park. But the big story is not actually, strangely, about the team that won the game and knocked in three goals and picked up three points. The story, again, for Everton is, is Rafa Benitez because new year, but same old... Same old situation really for Rafa in terms of results. One win in 12 for Everton in the Premier League is, is dreadful. Their only win came against Arsenal at the start of December. They've picked up three draws along the way, but they've taken some heavy beatings in the last couple of months. And we've talked about the situation with Rafa and the Everton fans and that relationship and how it was maybe a bit of a marriage of convenience at the start of the season where Everton fans were saying, as long as he gets results, we can turn a blind eye to his connections with Liverpool. It was never really a stable foundation to, to start a career, start a tenure at, at Everton Football Club. And things are really starting to come come apart at the seams. Conceded three goals, look really, really lacklustre, particularly in defence. And one of the interesting things is that he went for a slight change of system and five defenders, and they still managed to concede three goals and probably should have conceded more. This looks really, really difficult for Rafa now. And obviously before Christmas, the club came out and backed him. And we know sometimes that can be the death knell for a manager at a Premier League club is the writing on the wall for him now the fans are clearly angry with what they're seeing they're angry about the results and the fact that they are still potentially on the edge of a, a relegation battle and all this headed up by a manager that many many Evertonians never wanted in the first place 
Yeah, I think it's over for Rafa. And I think for the main reason, it's not just the results. It's more the fact that Everton themselves as a football club have much bigger ambitions now. So maybe in years gone by, Everton being outside the top 10 wouldn't have been a surprise. But when you look at the money now on Merseyside and at that football club that's been invested... Rafa Benitez has got to be somewhere in that top half and they've got to be competing. I think the good thing for him is that if he does survive, in the next three games, he's got Norwich, Villa and Newcastle. So there's three games there. You could say two out of those three, they should win comfortably and by scoring some goals. And of course, they've now got Dominic Calvert-Lewin back. So there might be a little grace period here where he's got a chance to, to keep his job. But as you highlighted there, Everton fans just don't like this man. And we all know why that is. Uh, you know, he has to be super great to keep this job. You know, he has to be taking Everton somewhere into the top six. And that's not going to happen this season. So I, I just think he's run out of uh, maybe favour uh, at Everton. And it could be a case that in two or three weeks' time, if we don't get results in these next three matches, then it could be an early goodbye for Rafa. Pete, I want to get your take on this quickly before we move on to Brighton. Rafa's situation at Everton does look difficult and almost every week we talk about a situation, whether it's at Goodison or away from home for Everton, where it's getting more and more toxic. Fans in the ground at Goodison, the travelling fans, fans on social media, nobody really is holding a candle out for him because performances and results have just eroded away any sort of confidence or optimism that he might be the stabilising force that they needed after Carlo Ancelotti left. It's 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 such a it's such a difficult situation. It's such a long road back from a position like this, and and you can't have spent over half a billion pounds in investing on a squad and and be fifteenth in the league um, at this stage in the season. And you you you're looking at the the the, the problem is is well one of the big problems is that they've had uh, Rafa's had uh, big players out for long periods to injury. Obviously, the obvious one being Dominic Calvert Lewin, um, but. Uh, you just you can't you just can't see a way back, and you because you can't you, you look at that squad despite the money that's been spent on it, and you're thinking who's going to drag us out of the mire here? Who's who's going to take us by the scruff of the neck and and say we need to be doing better than this and inspire the team onto bigger and better things? And I look at that Everton squad. There's just some talent in there, but there isn't anyone that can that can instigate dr- drastic change, which is what Rafa needs right now. Um, so I think the writing is on the wall. Um, I think it's a matter of time to see how long he how, how long he lasts now. And it, but I mean, it was always doomed to failure, in my opinion. Just when you have such an unpopular uh, appointment in the first place. Looking at Brighton, Rob, nobody needed a bit of a Christmas boost more than them, and they got exactly that. Going into the festive period, they hadn't won in eleven games, got knocked out of the Carabao Cup against Leicester, and, and rumours were starting to circulate about Graham Potter's position. Obviously, he's very well liked, but the old cliche of the Premier League being a results business was starting. Starting to, starting to come to the fore, but seven points from three games across the, the festive period, Christmas and New Year, has stabilised them. Looking at it in terms of form, there's nobody in better form than them outside of the top four at the moment. Things were difficult for them for two, maybe even up to three months, but we're starting to see this positive football that they play, this positive impact that they can have in terms of um, possession. Um, our old friend XG, they're one of the highest in the Premier League for that. That's now converting itself into results over over Christmas. And Graham Potter, that pressure has now gone away. They're in a position where they're on the edge of Europe. And we're starting to see all of the, the pretty patterns and the positive stuff that Brighton do now racking up as points on the board. Well, ironically, I think Graham Potter might well be the next Everton manager. So I think we've talked a lot about Brighton on this our This was an audition from today. Over the season. And, 
<laughs> Indeed. And he's obviously passed that with three goals. You know, Brighton get certain amount of criticism in terms of over the last 12 months about maybe their their inability to score but one of the things you see with Graham Potter is that he's got tactics he's a real coach he's he's a guy who would get on the training pitch with the, with his team and find methods and carve out a philosophy of how he wants to play the game and that's kind of what Everton are crying out for you know they don't really need a um, maybe an old school manager who's won trophies in the past but can't take a football club forward a la Mourinho or someone like that what they need is someone young and dynamic so I think Brighton have been fantastic they've been one of my favourite teams to cover and watch this season as of, and the last season of course the expectations at a Brighton club are always a lot lower than maybe other teams in the Premier League but I think Potter himself he's, he's done himself no kind of disservice with the way that he's managed that football club because I still think he's probably one of the biggest talents in the country and certainly as an English coach he's someone I think that would really appeal to Everton fans Pete, just going to give you the final word on this before we grab a quick break. If Rafa is gone, whether it's in the next few weeks, whether it's the end of the month, if we do assume that he's not going to be in charge of Everton by the end of the season, Rob's mentioned Graham Potter there. Who do you think Everton will look to to replace him if he's given the boot? I think I think Graham Potter's a great shout, um, but I think they do, whatever they do, whoever they get in, they need, I think they need a, a, a change of tact, really, because the sort of the... the, the They've gone for big name managers um, in the last in the last three appointments with Ronald Koeman, um, Ancelotti, uh, and then Rafa Benitez, and it's it perhaps takes a different type of 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 manager to to um, to get Everton firing again. Really, you know, it's you're not necessarily going to be able to attract the, the the biggest players that you would do that they would have been able to at other clubs which makes the job a very different prospect altogether so i think somebody a progressive a progressive figure like um like graham potter or or, or um, so another young another young and up and coming coach who who really will get you need to get somebody who need, wants to get the teeth to sink the teeth really into a, into this and into the job and and have a real go building the club from from the bottom up because I think there's a lot of issues at Everton you know that it's not just things that are problems on the pitch there's there's a, there's, it's, there's something not quite like quite uh, quite right there I suppose at the moment so I think that a young progressive coach like Potter who will uh, who will get stuck in work all hours of the day to turn the club around um, at all levels uh, is, 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 the, is the way to go now for Everton Indeed, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks at Goodison Park. Will Rafa stay or will he be sacked? Here on the Football Social Daily, we'll keep you updated on every step of the way as Everton make their big call on Rafa. Right, we're going to take a break on the first Football Social Daily podcast of 2022. After the break, four more Premier League games and four wins. No more draws to be covering. Some big, big three points as David Moyes, Antonio Conte, Thomas Frank and Marcelo Bielsa all celebrated the new year with three big, big points. We're going to be reviewing all of that in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. It is 2022 and is our first podcast of the new year. So a big happy new year to all our podcast listeners, social media followers and anybody who has got in touch and engaged with Football Social Daily over the last 12 months. Before the break, we talked about the title race, Manchester City's position as front runners and Chelsea and Liverpool both missing big, big chances to put some pressure on But in part two, we're going to focus on other areas of the table, the race for Europe, Champions League and Europa and the battle to avoid the drop. So, Rob, we're going to kick off with Crystal Palace against West Ham. Bit of a cracker, bit of a mad game at Selhurst Park to, uh, to start the new year for these two teams because... Palace found themselves with lots of chances in the first 45 minutes. They hit the post, they hit the bar, they forced a number of saves from uh, from the West Ham goalkeeper, but found themselves 3-0 down at half-time. So a frustrating situation to find themselves in, um, but still lots of positives. Similar situations to what we talked about with Arsenal before the break, that despite losing, there was still positives to take from this. Their response, they got it back to 3-2. They could have potentially even got a point at the back end of this one. But from West Ham's perspective, Mikhail Antonio, getting himself another festive goal really important for them that he keeps scoring goals this season and they're showing that they're not going to give up in this race for the top four Crystal Palace will hopefully look at this as a positive defeat as as much as you can but as for West Ham they're saying to United Arsenal Chelsea everyone else we're not going away in this race for the top four and as long as you guys keep dropping points we'll keep winning games yeah, West Ham's form had slipped, obviously, in recent weeks, and this was a, a match where they needed to win. You know, I think Crystal Palace have been a breath of fresh air this year, you know, very different, obviously, to Roy Hodgson's Eagles. And we've seen that, you know, Vieira ball is quite interesting, isn't it? 4 3 3, progressive football, young players playing a different style. Um, but I think with West Ham, you know, all credit to David Moyes to kind of getting. The, the train back on the tracks because it really did feel that watching them in re- in recent weeks uh, that things were starting to come undone. The, the fact that kind of Antonio's back in the team now and maybe there's a little bit more stability there uh, going forward. They're obviously losing Ben Rama now to, to the AFCON but, but they still look like a team that's going to compete and I think that a top six, top seven finish is on for them but they could, they could sneak into those Champions League places. Looking at Palace's situation, Pete, Patrick Vieira has, has changed the complexion of the club, of the team, of their style completely from, from Roy Hodgson. We've become so accustomed to them just plodding along, <clears throat> not really maybe being in massive relegation danger, not breaking into the European conversation, just being nice and steady and stable Premier League club without any sorts of issues going in either direction. Patrick Vieira has looked to, to roll the dice this season. They've lost games that maybe under Roy Hodgson they wouldn't have lost, but they've also won games that under Roy Hodgson they definitely wouldn't have won. They wouldn't have even come close to winning. So this is a disappointing start for 2022, for Vieira and for Palace, but they are moving in the right direction. And it was almost inevitable that this change had to come because if Roy Hodgson had stayed or they'd brought in a manager similar to Roy Hodgson, it would just be rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat for the next five, ten seasons. Yeah, and it just it'd just be you know just doing enough to survive and, and finishing fourteenth and fifteenth every season. And and look, there's, there's there's a lot to be said for that. Um, the stability that Hodgson brought, I think he did a great job, but. I think it had run its course and it was the right time to make a change. And I think the, the, the main reason for the change and what Palace fans um, all wanted was just to have a bit more fun, just to just to be a bit, you know, a bit... In- to see that to see the team to see, to see the team you know loosen the shackles a little bit um 
have a go at teams, take the game to opponent, which we might necessarily had done in the past, and it has been more fun. It, it, it's it's worked. They're playing much better football. They made some they made some really astute signings in the summer, and um, it was a really good job for Vieira to come into. I think because it was so. It, Roy Hodgson had laid such solid foundations that his task was to come in and take a team that was already doing well and and, and take them to the next level by um instant in, you know trying to get them to show a bit more endeavor and that's what that's what's happened and yes they lose games 3-2 against West Ham um but like you said they've they've won they've won other games that they would have lost uh, last season and it's just it's just they're just much 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 more exciting to watch and that's and that's what the overall aim was and it, and it's and it's worked a treat so a fair play to Palace for taking the plunge uh, it could easily have just could easily have just um, encouraged Roy to to stay on a bit longer and and carry on doing a, a reasonably successful job. But fair play, they took a risk and risk and reward, and it's it's paid off. Yeah, three points for David Moyes to kick off 2022. Rob, we're going to move on to Watford Spurs. Watford nil, Spurs won. This was another late, late goal. Davinson Sanchez in the 93rd minute got three points for Antonio Conte. We're going to talk about Spurs in, in just a second. But as for Watford, this is rough on them. Everyone likes Claudio Ranieri and he was very, very downbeat in, in his post-match press conference. But just looking at their record, straddling the back end of 2021 and now coming into the new year, they've lost their last six games. And... When we talk about teams at the top of the table, Manchester City scoring late goals. We obviously talked about this with Manchester United for many years. It's no coincidence when top teams score late in the game. That is just what they're able to do. That's their trump card that they can throw down at the end of a match. Whereas teams at the back end of the table that are battling against relegation, them conceding late goals is no fluke either. And just looking at their last three games, they've let in seven goals and four of those have come in the last five minutes. And that's that's cost them because against Brentford, they're in a position to win, maybe get a draw. They're in a position to get a draw against Tottenham this weekend. That would change their picture moving into the new year. But as it stands, they can't defend, they can't clear their lines and they look to be almost nailed on to be right down in the bottom three in, in 2022. Yeah, they're going down. And I think that, you know, when they brought Ranieri to the club, it was about bringing in an elder statesman. Again, we just talked about that a minute ago with Benitez at Everton about do you bring in these kind of managers who have got high IQ, high experience, and that then solves your issues, your problems. And I think when you look at Watford, you know, there is talent in that squad. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, they have been unlucky in some games, but in other football matches, they've just been rotten to the core. You can just see that through the middle and into the defence, they're just way too easy to get through. Um, this was a difficult game for them you know I think a Tottenham team coming there with a highly organized Antonio Conte setup uh, and it did look like that that they were going to get a draw out of it it really did I think when this game looked looked goalless and it looked like it had a goalless draw written all over it for most of the match uh, but I just think with Watford you know a good try this season you know they've looked good at times but I really do think that it'll be the championship for them next season we're going to look at the picture for, with Tottenham as well, Pete, because Antonio Conte is still unbeaten in the Premier League since he's come into the club. Obviously, they've had the disastrous situation of, of getting knocked out in Europe, although depending on which Spurs fan you speak to, some of them are happy about it because they, they were sick of the Europa Conference League. But you get this perception with Spurs under Conte that they are moving in the right direction. There's no more catch-up. They're running more in training. The, the signs do look there that they're going to make a push to, to qualify for some form of a European space. But they're not really getting the job done in a lot of situations. This was a real, real late win. Yes, they got the three points, but 
uh, last game of 2021 they were unable to get a win against Southampton even though they played a big block of that game with uh, 10 men for Southampton a draw against Liverpool before Christmas there is a lot of good stuff and a lot of positive noises coming out of Spurs but they're still somewhere short of what Conte wants them to be and obviously what Spurs fans want them to be Negative, negative, Nelly Fergal. I'm not. I, I, I disagree. I think that, I think that Spurs have uh... realistic, realistic, Ronnie. I, I would call myself. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard you called worse. But anyway, um, the, um, I think that that Spurs have have made great progress uh, under Conte. I don't think the, that Spurs fans could have expected any better, really, in the short space of time that he's had with the COVID problems that people have, that the team have had. You know, as of everyone else, but it doesn't make things easy. He's come in. I think he's he's an unbelievable coach. It, it one of, if not the best co- coach, actual coach in the world. I think Manchester United missed a trick not going for him, and I think he can do great things for Spurs. And I am. Um, it's going to take time. He's when he first came in, he said his first task um, was to make them stable, make them harder to beat, and then build from there. And that and that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, it, it was it wasn't a particularly inspiring uh, victory uh, over over Watford, but uh, it got the job done. And 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 that's as much as Spurs fans can ask for at the moment. And it and it can't have gone much better really, considering he's he is still unbeaten and they're slowly but surely getting back to where they needed to be. So I think I think he's come in and done a great job. And now he's built um, that solid base for uh, and to for further improvement uh, and to and to help them uh, improve all over the pitch. And I think it will take time. Um, he'll need uh, you know the rest of the season to 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 find his feet again. But it's the, the the early signs are very very promising indeed. Right, we're going to flick across to some of the other games from today. Brentford two, Aston Villa one, and Stephen Gerrard from Aston Villa's perspective, Rob, continued this theme of it not being a good weekend for former Premier League midfielders. Arteta lost against Manchester City, Vieira lost against Wolves, and he made it three out of three in a, in the defeats. The, the big stat for Gerrard so far at Villa is that the only games they've lost have been against the big boys. Um, they lost to Liverpool, they lost to Man City and they lost to Chelsea. But the other games where they would either be expected to win or expected to get a positive result, they generally have done it. They beat Brighton, they beat Palace, Leicester and Norwich. This is the first game that they've lost against the team that is in and around them in the table of where you would expect Aston Villa to, to finish uh, come the end of the season. So looking at the performance today and looking at the January transfer window, which is now opened, this is a new situation for Gerard to deal with. It's his first transfer window as Villa manager. Is that now the priority? Looking at the situation with the squad, he knows that if they have injuries in certain areas of the team, as they do at the moment, they'll lose more of these types of games and he needs to get bodies in in January to make sure that they're able to keep up the level that he has set so far at Villa Park. Yeah, the short answer to that is yes, because I think when you look at Aston Villa, my favourite stat about Villa is that they're the fifth richest club in the country when you look at the money and the wealth at that football club now. And of course, like we said about Everton and other football teams, that if you've got money, you really got big ambitions, haven't you? But today, this game at Brentford, this was a certainly a match that got away from Gerrard. You know, Villa were with a better team for long periods. And really, it was a bit of a smash and grab at home from Brentford in the sense that they just found a way to utilise the crowd. They pushed forward. 
And that's when you saw Villa's weaknesses in terms of game management. You know, this was a kind of match where once they went 1-0 up, they should have managed what they were doing a lot better than they did. But I, I think Gerard's the right manager for Villa as well. I think, you know, we, we talked about young progressive coaches. I think it's a really good stage for him. But yes, they do need reinforcements. And even if he just gets one or two in this transfer window, that might give them the edge they need to be in the top half at the end of the season and allow them to have a really good summer. Looking at Brentford, it's been a mixed bag for them, Pete, over Christmas in terms of results. They beat Watford, but then knocked out the Carabao Cup to Chelsea. They lost to Brighton and Man City, but then bounced back at the start of, of 2022 with this result against Villa today. Generally speaking, Thomas Frank is, is quite a positive character. You listen to him in his press conferences and his post-match today, built on this idea that they are moving in the right direction. Don't forget, this is our first ever Premier League season. Things do look positive for them. I chatted to, to Niall about this on, on one of our previous shows last week um, just after Christmas and, and I've said that I'm pretty confident they'll be absolutely fine that they will stay in the Premier League for next season would, would you agree do you think they've already done enough there's enough points on the board already to avoid a bit of a scramble in the last few months of the season I was looking at the Premier League table and, and, and I was sort of I was trying to think who else could potentially get dragged in and it's not beyond the realms of possibility that even after their uh, really good start that they could get dragged in uh, Brentford if they go on you know a, a a run of 10 games without a win or something like that they could easily easily get dragged into it um but you just can't see it at the moment there's there's, there's just a they've still the, the important thing is they've they've retained what a lot of what a lot of newly promoted teams struggle with is they've they've re- retained that momentum from the championship in the Premier League um, and you know it's, it's a real feel good uh, club and the, the, the whole atmosphere around the club is a really feel good atmosphere around the place um, so it's, it's it'll, be, it'll take something to burst that bubble really it will take a really long uh, run to burst that bubble and I, and I can't see it happening really with the way things are going and they're, they're, they're sort of model aren't they on how to um, how meticulous planning and meticulous preparation can can get you results and can get you in can get you to high places um so they will have they will have various contingencies if things do start to go wrong um so i i think that i think that brentford are, uh, and i said at the start of the season i'm not just saying this now because they're 12th but um i think that brentford uh, uh are uh, fully deserve to be in the premier league and i think they're in the premier league to stay for a long time so i think that the, the model that they operate to is is one that a lot of other clubs could learn a hell of a lot from uh, final game of the weekend and pete i'm going to throw this back over to you because you were at ellen road today leeds three burnley one both of these teams really needed a win going into this one Leeds with just one win in eight Premier League games before it and Burnley with just one win all season going into it so Leeds we're going to talk about them first three goals three points Marcelo Bielsa was absolutely delighted at full time grabbing his coaching staff grabbing the subs and obviously Elland Road when when Leeds win is a hell of an atmosphere the fans were absolutely loving it at full time so looking at their picture they're again in this bracket of teams that could get sucked into a relegation battle if things go badly if they hit a hit a bit of a rough patch in, in the spring but I do also look at them and go there are worse teams I know that's always always a bit of an old argument with anybody that's a possible candidate for relegation but when they play like this and, and at Elland Road when they've got the crowd behind them and Bielsa ball does click into gear they are really really hard to beat would you be confident that they can get enough of these types of performances and these types of results, particularly at Elland Road, to make sure that they're OK and uh, and stave off relegation? 
Yeah, absolutely. It was a huge win that for them today. Um, I was very worried for Bielsa, actually. Whenever he gets off his bucket, you don't really know what he's going to be doing on the touchline. And uh, at full time, he did look like he was going to combust uh, in that weird sort of way that he celebrates without a smile on his face. So, um, yeah, it was a very worrying sight, but he, he, he seemed OK at the end. But it was a huge win for them. Um, what What is... Um, it's it's crazy the the injuries that they've had this season. Bielsa's talked about it recently. How it's all very different injuries. You know, it's not like it's not players that have the same injury time after time. It's it's odd injuries that, are, that you know long term ones as well. Key players, Calvin Phillips, the obvious one, and and Patrick Bamford being out for long periods of time have really really hurt them. When they don't necessarily, a lot of Leeds fans are a bit disgruntled with the the spending in the summer. They need it was a thin squad anyway, and they didn't really add the numbers that they needed. Um, and when you go below their sort of best sort of 15 players, the squad players at Leeds aren't perhaps as strong as, as as other clubs. But once they start, these players start to come back. They had a, they had a, a much more normal looking defence today with uh, big players coming back there as well. Um, they'll be fine. And it was a, it was a huge win. Um, you did fear for them when it was when it went to one one that they might combust, considering they conceded 14 goals in the previous three uh, three games. Uh, but they got the job done. That extra break, having two games postponed uh, before the match, uh, did them a world of good. Uh, and they got the job done in the end uh, with the late goals. And, and it was a huge, huge win. Um, but I wouldn't be too. It, it, it drags them. It drags them eight points clear of the, of the of the relegation zone. I wouldn't be too worried. I think they've got. I think they've got enough to uh, to to stay away from the relegation battle. Burnley are not in nearly as much of a comfortable position, Rob, in terms of fighting off relegation. As I mentioned, just one Premier League so far this season. That was a home to Brentford all the way back on Halloween weekend. And going into this game and going into the start of, of 2022, their the points have been really, really disappointing. Four points from six games going into this one. Another defeat thrown on the pile today. And particularly in terms of goals, they're really, really struggling to score goals. They've scored just two in the last five. Consolation against United on the 30th. And then a brilliant goal from Maxwell today but ultimately it didn't mean anything and we have the same point with Burnley all the time of Sean Dyche is massively experienced at these situations the core of his squad and the core of his starting 11 are in the same boat but I do take that on board and I do think that is a hugely valuable thing to have when you're in this type of situation but these things don't last forever these players are another 12 18 months older Sean Dyche is another year down the line in terms of his career the Premier League has got better it's improved the teams around them have improved and crucially the teams around them have spent money they brought in Corne this summer and he's been fantastic for them but you get the sense now that if he doesn't do it if he doesn't score the goal or provide the inspiration then Ashley Barnes who's obviously been out injured for some time isn't going to get the goal because he's injured and even before he got injured he wasn't scoring goals Chris Wood has lost that kind of just average ticking 12-13 Premier League goals a season and all that adds to this idea that this massive safety net that Burnley appear to have of Sean Dyche and all that experience is maybe not as strong as it was 12-18 months or even two seasons ago. Well, Burnley season never starts till January, so we must always bear that in mind. They they tend to kind of write off the first few months of the season and then the second half of the season, they turn into a completely different team. But I think your point there is taken 100%, is that this is an ageing squad and eventually your luck is going to run dry. And I think when you look at Sean Dice's tactics and the way that he kind of sets his team up, you, you know, you can't keep rinsing and repeating this cycle forever and ever and ever. And also Burnley themselves, they have ownership, uh, 
new ownership there in terms of their ambitions and what they want to do. And they're, they're certainly not going to want to put money into the football club if you're just surviving the relegation spots by one place. Now, for Burnley this year, the big issue is, of course, Newcastle, because Newcastle are going to spend a lot of money, maybe in the next uh, the next four or five weeks, to try and power their way out of that relegation dogfight. And that might suck Burnley even further in. So even if Burnley do start to win matches, they, you know, they, they could still be in trouble. The next three is Leicester, um, Arsenal and Manchester United. So it's three tough matches. And I just think with Sean Dyche, I'm just not sure that his style is maybe what Burnley need anymore you know I think he's he's done fantastic over the years he's been there kept Burnley in the Premier League when everyone thought they'd be relegated but it just feels like it's a little bit of the end game now for Dyche uh, obviously nobody ever keeps their New Year's resolutions so Rob Pete I'm not going to ask you for your New Year's resolutions because they, they never last for anyone beyond the first week of January but I'm going to ask you for your tips of 2022 Rob I'm going to go to you first on this we've got the January transfer window now swinging open Everton have brought in probably I think the first Premier League deal but we're expecting a lot of money to be sloshed around Newcastle you'd imagine are going to be throwing money around to try and get themselves out of relegation danger what's your Premier League tip for 2022 well, you've really put me on the spot, haven't you? So um, I think the first, well, I think in terms of January, we're not going to see lo- lots and lots of signings. You know, I work on a window every year and I think this year might be about Newcastle trying to sign absolutely everyone and signing Kieran Trippier. So that might well be kind of as, as far as it goes. But I think for the rest of this season, I think you're going to be quite happy at Arsenal. You know, I think that, that when you look at the teams fighting for the top four, I just have a feeling about the squad. Like We know that they failed against Manchester City, but they are the team that I've watched most just freely over the last few weeks because I think when you've got that young squad that those boys can go and do something exceptional. So I think we could see Arsenal in the Champions League places. But I think for the rest of the year, I think it's all just going to be Manchester City. I think there's a, it's just what it is. Pep's got everyone wrapped around his little finger. Uh, and I don't think anyone can really surpass Manchester City as it stands. I've always liked you, Rob. Yeah, Arsenal for uh, for top four. I just add on the the situation with Kieran Trippier. There was an interesting um, leak on Twitter this morning whereby he actually tweeted a goodbye message to Atletico Madrid tweeted a picture of him on getting on a plane whether it was a live picture or not he even changed his location to St James's Park and then clearly the deal isn't done and Simeone rang him and said no we've got a game tonight and uh, you need to play so he's basically said he's leaving the deal is done and then he played for Atletico Madrid uh, tonight so depending on which way you look at it he's either the ultimate professional that will still play even when he's leaving or the ultimate anti-professional because he's saying he's gone before uh, before a deal is sewn up um, Pete what about yourself Premier League transfer window it's going to be an interesting six months between now and the end of the season. What's your Pete Hall hot tip for 2022? Uh, City to win the next 17 games uh, and win the league by 26 points um, without getting out of second gear, without breaking sweat. Uh, and then getting far in the Champions League and then Pep to do to wake up in the middle of the night and and come up with some mad tactical ploy that that ruins it for them uh would would be my uh, would be my tip uh for uh for 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 this season but also also to sort of, to perhaps contradict what uh, what Rob was saying i i actually quite fancy tottenham to sneak in uh, and 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 get fourth spot. It's going under the radar how they're you know how they're creeping back up the table. Uh, if they if they win one of their two games in hand, they are fourth. Uh, they are above Arsenal. Um, so 
and I think that the longer that Conte has with these players now that he's got January is a lot more steady now there's big gaps between games um, and he relishes time on the training ground and I, I do actually fancy Tottenham to sneak that fourth spot so that would be my tip I might just stick an extra tip then on top of that one just very quickly go on um, we might not see Harry Kane at Tottenham in the next four weeks anymore there we go Okay, fair enough. Uh, Tottenham heavy on the tips from both Pete that's, that's and Rob. So, so that might that might hurt Conte's chance. Yeah, and it might hurt Pete's prediction of, uh, of Tottenham edging out Arsenal for uh, for the top four. Hopefully, mm. uh, Pete's beloved Spurs can do it. We're all willing in behind you, Pete, because we know that's what <laughs> you want. That'll be your present for 2022. <laughs> right, guys, uh, Happy New Year. We're going to call it there for the first podcast of 2022. Hopefully, it's going to be a brilliant 2022. And here at the Football Social Daily, we are with you every step of the way. Every day, a brand new Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe on this episode. You know what to do. You've listened to enough podcasts, but I now we will be here with a brand new show every single 24 hours if you click subscribe you get access to that and plus all the other options on the sports social podcast network right pete rob as always thanks for your time thank you thank you very much great stuff guys uh, the team will be back tomorrow Jim, Marley, Niall gearing up for a big uh, January t- tucking into some of the talking points from the weekend obviously the stories relating to the Chelsea Liverpool game the returning of safe standing at Stamford Bridge and building up to another Premier wow there's Premier League football every night another Premier League game on Monday as Manchester United play host to Wolves thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you again very very soon Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.